Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Some of you still look a little windblown, just so you know. Dean, would you hand me that little blue cup, please? Thank you. Um, I appreciate that. We, uh, I want, want to prepare you to, to know this. We're not going to do it today. But uh, we are going to be engaged in, in relief efforts in the coming weeks um, because this is going to be a long process of recovery for the folks in the Bahamas and in other locations. And so uh, we are going to take up some type of love offering for that, for disaster relief coming up soon. Our elders are meeting tomorrow night. We'll talk about the details. I want to assure you that uh, whatever partnership we go through will be through an organization that is devoted to the gospel being spread so that uh, any resources that you would give or share would uh, be done through an organization in the name of Jesus. And uh, so I want to assure you of that going into it so that you can begin praying, asking the Lord, how might I give? Uh, I know some, some of you feel compelled to do something today and in this moment, and, and that's good. And if you want to, you can just write Dorian Relief, and we'll make sure that it gets there. Um, but this is going to be a, a longer process of recovery, and so help's going to need to come um, in large ways in the days ahead. So I want you to do that. Also, if you're, uh, if you're here, and uh, I guess if you're hearing me, you're here, right? Since you are here, let's go with that. Since you are here today, if you find yourself in some need of of assistance, uh, maybe some work around your house that you can't do. Um, we have folks that have said we, they want to help. And so uh, let, please let uh, our, our deacon team know that. Uh, you can email the church office. And if you're, you know, wanna, want to help, if you're willing to help, email that too so that we can match up those uh, with, with the gift of help uh, with those in need. And uh, we, we want to see that happen. I, I want to encourage you if you're kind of been guesting with us for a while, hang out at the river. Uh, today at four, uh, we have our Exploring Church membership class that we're hosting. I would love to see you uh, come just to kind of hear what we believe God is calling us to do as a church in the days ahead. You may want to be a part of that. Um, this morning, for those of you that are guests with us, I don't normally preach in a t-shirt. Um, I, uh, we are pretty casual, but I don't normally wear a t-shirt. But yesterday, my team, CSU alumni, were involved in a game. And I want our USC fans, which I know are many here, to know this. We love you. And because we knew you had such a rough season last year, we went easy on you. In order that you would go into next week game with some confidence. We just wanted you to, to have some confidence. So it was a sacrifice. We are generous in giving people like that at, at Charleston Southern University. But we just wanted you to know that. But I, I could not not wear colors today. Okay? So that's, that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, I want to begin this morning with two stories. Okay? Two stories. One, I, I'm going to kind of 
use Joe's living translation of a parable that Jesus told from Matthew chapter 20. You can go look there if you want to to make sure that my, my telling of it is, is, is semi-accurate. Um, I believe it will be. Uh, but, and then I want to tell you a, another story that was an actual account and event. And I want you to see if you can, as I'm telling these two stories, detect the common denominator. Again, the first is a parable from, from the mouth of Jesus. It's often referred to uh, as the parable of the vineyard workers in Matthew chapter 20 um, but it, basically it's this once upon a time there was a, a wealthy landowner and he it was time to harvest his crops so he went to the place where workers gather the marketplace or what may be in our day something more more like the unemployment office to, to, to employ some people and he went there early that morning and got a group of people who would work with him in that day to bring in his, his crops and uh, he got there got back to the field and realized I don't have enough so he, he went back to the unemployment office got an, another group of laborers and got back and got them work, and then realized I need more so he went back he did this a, a couple of times throughout the day till eventually kind of like at the last hour just just before the you know, sun was setting kind of twilight he went and got one more group of workers and brought them into the field and each of those groups he had agreed to a payment schedule he said I'll pay you a, a fair day's wage that was what he had done. And so at the end of the day, they gathered and they kind of lined up with those who had been employed last being first and those who had been employed earlier in the morning being at the end of the line. And he starts paying them. And he pays that first group who had shown up just at twilight a full day's wage. And he paid the, the other group, the next group, a full day's wage. And all the way down, you know, this is going on. And he gets to the first person in the, that group that had been employed at the beginning, early morning. And you can just hear, they're not happy. Murmuring starts happening in the line. And finally, one individual speaks out and said, hey, dude, this just isn't right. You're, you're not treating us fairly. You're shortchanging us. We did, we did most of the work. We got here in the early morning hours. We labored through the hot sun. But you treat us as equals. And I love the words that Jesus put into the mouth of the, the wealthy landowner. He said, didn't, didn't we agree upon a wage? Did, didn't we agree upon a wage? Look, man, I've kept my word. I did what I said I was going to do. Why would you begrudge me my desire to be, to be generous? See, for reasons that are just my own, I want to do something unexpected, something crazy lavish for, for everyone. Something that make that, that, that last group that I employed run home and say, honey, you're not going to believe what this guy did for me today. Something life-changing. That's story number one. Story number two is an actual account of an event that took place in, in the life of a, of a young woman named Denise Banderman. She was a student at Hannibal LeGrand College in Missouri back in 2002. Uh, this college is uh, actually a, a Missouri Baptist supported school. And she showed up that day, it was final exam day. And when she got to class, everybody in the class was doing last minute cramming. And a few minutes behind her, the professor walks in and he kind of does a, a brief review. Most of what the, the prof was talking about was very familiar. But suddenly he began saying things that no one in the class had heard him say before. 
for the whole semester. And so finally one sheepish student raised his hand and said, uh, Prof, the, um, we've never heard some of that before. And then the professor spoke those words that sends chills down the spine of every student who's ever sat in a college classroom when they say, it was in the textbook. And the syllabus says on the opening line that you will be responsible for what's in the textbook. So put away your papers. And the professor went up and down the, the, the aisles dropping a test face down on each student's desk. And when he got everybody delivered and he began making his way back to his desk, he said, you may take the test. So all the students simultaneously kind of flipped their papers over and just started staring. Nobody kind of moved and then there was just kind of murmuring that began to, to go on in this just kind of a low kind of groaning because all of the answers were already filled in. And Denise found her name written in red at the top of her page. And so people keep flipping through page after page and all the answers are, are, are there. It's a completed exam. And on the last page, on the bottom of every test, was this statement. All the answers on your test are correct. You will receive an A on the final exam. The reason you passed the test is because the creator of this test took it for you. All the work you did in preparation for this test did not help you get an A. Consider what you've experienced. Now these, these two stories both have something in common. This story uh, about these vineyard workers, this story about a completed exam giving an undeserved A. What's the common denominator? The goodness, the gift. It, it, was a, it was an incredible, lavish, unbelievable, unexpected gift. And here's what I hope you will be captured by before you leave here today. Those are not just experiences that other people have. If you are drawing breath, if you have life in you today, there's not a single person here who has not at some level experienced the lavished, undeserved, unexpected kindness, goodness of God. Nobody's beyond that. And what's more, we experience it every single day. They're poured out constantly over us. And my fear is, we often miss it. We often miss the beauty and goodness of God. But I want you to know that I can say this with complete confidence because of the unchanging truth that everybody in here has experienced the lavish goodness of God because of this one reason and one alone. Because God is good. That is just who he is. If you, want to, if you want to know who God is, if you want to understand him really, his goodness is the starting point. 1 Chronicles 16 tells us, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he's what? He's good. Psalms 34 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalms 100 tells us, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is The Lord's what? Okay, there you go. That's a little better. Come on. The Lord is good. 
In Exodus chapter 33, Moses had been walking with God for a season. And he, he got to the place where he boldly made a request. He said, God, I really want to see you. I want to see you for who you are. And in verse 17, God says, okay, Moses, here's how it's going to go down. I will make, notice this, God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. Other translations say he proclaimed the name Yahweh before you. See, Moses wanted to see God's glory and God showed him his goodness. He showed him what was good about God. And it left Moses forever changed. The Bible tells us that his face, that not only was he changed emotionally and spiritually, but he was transformed physically from this encounter with God so that his face glowed for years to come. Now here's the deal. God wants you to know him that way. God wants you to know him in such a life-changing way that you would be filled with his goodness, that you would be forever transformed. And because of that reason, here's the first thing that I want you to take away today is God reveals his goodness to everyone. God reveals his goodness. Now we sing about it. Some of us talk about it. But I fear that we often don't really understand the depth of the attribute of God's goodness. And I pray today that we'll meditate, we'll think deeply on that this morning. See, the Bible defines God's goodness in two ways. Psalms chapter 119 verse 68 really captures it concisely. It, it says this about God, you are good and do good. See, the first half of that verse focuses on the fact that God is by his very nature good. He's morally excellent. He's extraordinarily beautiful. He's deeply glad. He's exceptionally filled with goodness. But since this is God we're talking about, you know, we think about good, you know, and, and we use it in all kinds of ways. But the goodness of God is far beyond anything that we even begin to completely understand yet. And it just comes for him naturally. See, God is not just the greatest being in the universe. He's the best. If I was five, I'd say he's the goodest. He's the goodest being in the whole universe. That's who God is. That's exactly what Jesus was saying in Mark chapter 10 when, when he made this statement. No one is good except God alone. There's nothing really good except God. Now see, we use, we use that word good to describe all kinds of things. Somebody might say, man, that was a really good steak. Or she's a, she's a really good friend. Or man, that was a, a really good movie. Very few CSU fans yesterday said that was a good game. But, you know, it was, it, we, we do this. But the deal is God alone is truly good because God himself is goodness. You know, when it comes to people, when we, we, we all, you know, kind of categorize people and this is a good person and not so good person and do that. And, and the way that we're doing that is not necessarily rooted in the core of who they are, but in their outward behavior by their actions. And this is actually a second strategy found in scripture for defining God's goodness. Not only did it say, God, you're good, that's who you are, but it says you do good. The last half of that verse concentrates on what God does. And the Bible is filled with descriptions that point to the goodness of God. His kindness, his mercy, his steadfast love, his generosity. See, this is God's disposition to do good to human beings. And it goes far beyond anything you or I deserve. Here's a great question 
to search our souls with today, personally. You need, to, you need to just take this in personally and ask yourself this question. Have you ever, and do you regularly, think about God being generous to you personally? Is that your normal first thought about God? Is that he is good to you personally? Do you think of God that, that his primary disposition, the primary way that you experience the creator of the universe, do you experience him as being good to you? Can, can you believe for just a second that with all your baggage, all your junk, all your hang-ups, that he regularly wants to be generously good to you? That he can't wait to pour out some new goodness on you that will fill your life with joy? Not because you deserve it, but because that's who he is and, and what he does. He just loves to overflow with extravagant goodness on you. See, the Bible says those are actually God's thoughts towards you. God has you. He's got your back. God is plotting against you to do good. That's what he's plotting. He's plotting to do good for you. You're, you're the object of the affection that he has for goodness. And he, and he expresses that in unbelievable ways. But maybe you showed up here today. And maybe your circumstances are just kind of difficult. And you're in a hard season of life. And you feel like your options are few. And you feel like saying God is good feels a little bit hollow. Maybe you would say that and feel hypocritical. Here's what I want you to be captured by today. That the goodness of God as we go through it, what the biblical writers talk about, is still true. Many, many people, many of you have, have talked about God's word, the Bible, as God's love letter. Anybody heard that before? That this is God's love letter to, to humanity. And, and there is a great truth to that. And that book tells us that what's true about God is that he wants you to know him. And that's one of this great truths. See, if, 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 if just with anyone who has a love for someone else, you want to reveal that. You want that person to know that you love them. You, you want to reveal, you want that love revealed to him. And so God wants his love, his goodness towards you to be revealed. And he has done that in many ways, but I want to talk about three real quickly that I want you to see of how God reveals his goodness to us. The first way that he does it is just through natural blessings or, or universal blessings. Some people call it common grace. There is just this natural, universal way that God pours out his goodness on everyone and everything. David, King David, who gave us uh, the book of Psalms in many ways, writes about this in Psalms 145. It's a hymn of praise and it celebrates the goodness of God. We read parts of it earlier. In verse 3, he shouts out, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I mean, one generation. And usually it's an older generation who's been walking 
walking with the Lord for a, a longer period of time, they recognize His goodness quicker. And so they will declare it. Verse 7 begins telling us what that, that older generation will say. It says, They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Notice verse 9. The Lord is good to who? All. Who does that include? You. It includes you. Each and every one. You, you were part of that which experiences the goodness of God. And just in case you missed it on the first pass, he, he kind of closes it this way. He said, and his mercy is over all. He wants you to know that he, everything that he's made, his goodness and mercy flows over. This, this, this means that nowhere that you might be able to go in all of the universe could you escape the goodness of God. It shows up in every crevice of this creation. Verse 15 says this, The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and he's kind. He's good in all of his works. That means every relationship, every job, every, every tree, even if it fell in your yard, all of that is filled with the goodness of God, his compassion. You can look in every corner of the world and his goodness overflows. But here's the deal. We have to look for it. We have to see it. We, we have to, to know it's there, but then we've got to look for it. I want to tell you one of the ways it showed up for me this week. Tuesday, around about 5 o'clock, I had completed all of my Dorian preparations. I was done. So I thought. And I came in the house and I began working on this message some more because I didn't know what the power situation was going to be and I do most all of that on the computer. And so I began working and I was sitting there uh, at our table in our sunroom working and it struck me Go look at that tree. And I know you're saying, which tree? You know, those of you who have been in my house know there are a lot of trees. But there was one particular tree that I really felt like, looking back now, that God brought to mind. And so I went and looked at this tree. And this tree was the tree, the great big old oak tree. I can't get my arms around it. Um, and it was the tree in which we had built our, our, our kids a, a tree house. Years and years and years ago. Much of it has deteriorated since then. But some of it was still intact. And so I go out to this tree and, and, and half of it, it, it went up. And about 12, 15 foot up, it split into two big trunks. Lots of branches. Well, about eight months ago, in a storm, one half fell off. And I had looked at it and it was diseased. But the other half didn't look bad. I, I knew that was going on and it fell away from my house. Well, this other half hung over our house. And the tree was positioned in the, the northeast direction between uh, the wind that was going to come out of the north, northeast, and my house. And so this branch is just hanging over my house. And it dawns on me, this could not be good. It's Tuesday evening. And so I decide this has to come down. And so I make the decision that the only way to deal with this now, I'm not going to be able to get each of those limbs off. Uh, I'm going to have to pull the whole thing down. 
And so I go get some cables, uh, a snatch pulley, um, and I rig this thing up. I tie it into the top of the tree. I anchor it to an oak tree across our ditch, and then I pull the cable back this way. I call Daddy and say, here's what I need. I need you tomorrow morning um, to come help me. I need you to get your tractor, and as I cut this thing, I want you to pull it so it stays away from the house. And so that morning he comes. Kathy's in terror. Um, <laughs> I climb the tree with my chainsaw, I get on that platform, and I start sawing through the, the tree limb. And the tree limb uh, there is about that big around. Um, and so I start, start sawing through it, and I get about a third of the way through, and it begins to twist back towards the house. And so I'm, I'm kind of getting out the way, hollering, go, go. And so Daddy tries to take off with the tractor. And it, it catches, and it begins pulling, and the branch, literally, the, the last branch that could swipes, just some leaves, swipes the corner of my house, and it falls. I didn't see it coming because I did not know that two-thirds of that branch was hollow. And so when I cut through the first third and it twisted, it was heading for my house. And had I just cut it and we hadn't cabled it, it would have taken out that part of our house. Now, I don't know about you, but God talks to me. I know some people think, well, you're crazy if you think God speaks to you. Well, I, I believe that. And I believe that day, that afternoon, God told me, go look at that tree. I believe that with my whole heart. Now, I will say to you, what I did, do not try this at home. Okay? It could not have been the most beautiful thing, but it, it, the plan worked. Um, but here's the deal. I believe that was part of the goodness of God. And I believe God speaks to you all the time. I believe God is wanting you to see his goodness. He's wanting to protect you in ways that may be unseen to you. But you've got to pay attention. You've got to listen. The goodness of God is over all of creation and it's universal. Because that is who he is. And he is looking for ways to do good. But there's a second thing that you need to know about the goodness of God and the way he reveals it. Because he also reveals it through compassionate interventions. He reveals it universally and generally, but then God gets more specific. And he comes to you trying to intervene in your life compassionately uh, and, and, and intentionally. Psalms 107 is a great passage of scripture about this. I encourage you this week, please, sit down in front of Psalm 107 and just meditate on it. I don't have time to unpack it in great detail. I'm going to give you the highlights. It starts out this way in verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he's what? He's good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord do what? Say so. Say that God is good. See, the, the psalmist then goes on and gives us some additional scenarios that reveal the goodness of God. And I just want to highlight each of those for just a second. First, Psalms 107 begins telling us uh, about some, some folks that God rescues. People who are frantically searching for something or someone that they think will satisfy their soul. But finally, they cry out to the Lord and, and when they do, God delivers them. He fills their soul with goodness. It goes on, the psalmist tells us there, and God intervenes in the lives of those who actually are rebellious against his word. And their lives are just going down. But finally, when they repent, God delivers them. He removes them from their distress. He breaks the chains of sin that they've been captive to. And he turns the darkness into to marvelous light. 
And then a, a third scenario, God intervenes on, because of his goodness in the lives of people that the Bible describes as foolish. They were just foolish in giving themselves over to sin and it brought them near death's door. And God restores them after they cry out to him and he, uh, he reverses kind of the killing effect in their lives. And then we see how God delivers those who are being pounded in calamity. A storm is threatening to sink them. They're at their wits end. And Psalms 107 says they call out to him. And because he is good, he commands the storms to cease. See, Father God has been there for you more than you will ever know in this life. More, more than you will ever know. And no matter what situation you are facing this morning, God is the best person to take it to. Because there is no surer source of deliverance and blessing than from God because he is good. That is, that is who he is. He's good all the time. A third way that God reveals his goodness, this was the ultimate way, was through his son Jesus. God, God showed how really good he was through his son's Jesus. Colossians chapter 1 reminds us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God and that God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. In other words, Jesus was the goodness of God walking around. Jesus was the goodness of God in the flesh. Jesus demonstrated God's desire to pour out his good blessing on everyone. He, he delivers us. And Jesus displayed the goodness of God in the flesh in, in, in at least three ways that came to my mind. The first one is this, is that he took judgment that should have been ours, that our sins deserved upon himself. He, Jesus displayed the goodness of God in his flesh when he, when he took that judgment on himself. Because of his extravagant goodness, it just, it, it, it flows to us. It's, it's amazing to us that Jesus on the cross was the substitution. God made him the substitution for us, for what we deserved. And his death for us is, there, there's no greater picture of God's unmerited goodness towards us. Romans 5, it tells us this, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, while we were still stuck in our sin, Christ died for us. We didn't deserve it. You don't deserve it. I, I, I don't deserve it. In fact, if we were honest with one another right now, the truth is we continue to do things that prove we don't deserve it. Anybody want to testify amen to that one? We do. We still do things that prove we don't deserve it. But God is good. His desire, his nature is to do for you and for me what we can't do for ourselves. So he puts forward his son on our behalf. He takes our hell and gives us heaven. If we would surrender and trust in Jesus. A second way that Jesus displays God's goodness in his flesh is this way. He includes a thousand other things in the gift of himself. He includes all these other gifts in the gift that is him. All the other little detail things that help you live and make it through this life. Romans 8.32 says this. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, 
how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All the other things that you need in this life are a gift that are attached to Jesus. In other words, God, God has already shown you the best of his goodness possible through Jesus. But there's more. He continues to work in you. He continues transforming you. He continues blessing you. A third way that Jesus displays the goodness of God in the flesh is this. He unlocks God's goodness towards us in new ways every day. He continues every day to unlock some new goodness of who he is, some way you've yet to know him. See, every moment of every day holds a new opportunity for you to experience something of the goodness of God. Every moment does that. Lamentations 3 reminds us of this truth. It says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. It is a renewable source of God's goodness. It is constantly renewed. 2 Corinthians 1.20 tells us that all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Now this book, God's word, God's love letter is filled with promises. Things God said he is going to do, that he wants to do, that he loves to do. That passage in Corinthians tells us the answer to all those promises is found in Jesus. They're, they're all checked yes. All of those promises in Jesus. That means all of the good and perfect gifts that come to us come through. All of those promises being fulfilled come through our relationship with Jesus. If I want to understand God's goodness, the full measure of God's goodness to me, it begins and it ends with Jesus. Jesus unlocks that. But here's the deal. I have to respond to him unlocking it. He can, he can unlock the door that opens my life to the goodness of God, but I got to respond by opening the door. Some of you will remember Revelation 3.20 that says, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. You got to open the door. You got to respond to this goodness of, of Jesus. You got you, you to do this. I, I want to... I want to give you three ways real quickly that you can respond, okay? Three ways that you can respond to the goodness, the fullness that Jesus wants to un unlock to you. These aren't in your worksheet. You can put them on the back if you want to. Um, the first is this. You and I need to repent of our thanklessness and our unbelief. We, we, you and I... We, one of the ways, the first ways we need to respond is to respond by repenting of our thanklessness and unbelief. I, I don't know how many of you heard or saw on social media, uh, a group of people began kind of attacking the power line workers because they weren't getting to them quickly enough. Some of them actually, oh my goodness, took a lunch break. Don't do that when you've got one of these things on. They took a lunch break. People were berating them. And then, here's the really cool thing. People began, began berating the beraters. And they ended up having to take it down off of social media. I was, I was very glad when I heard that, that that had taken place. But see, there is, this, there is this thing in us. See, the Bible tells us that God's goodness, all of his goodness, is to lead you and I to repentance. 
See, Paul, Paul tells us not to think that all the blessings you have come to you just because you are a nice person. Just because there's something good about you. See, God's goodness is meant to lead you and lead me to repentance. See, if, if all we do is go through our life receiving God, God's goodness, receiving God's goodness, receiving God's goodness, but never trusting Christ, never giving ourselves over to a relationship with God through a son, is basically like looking God in the face and saying, I deserve your goodness. I, I, just, I just deserve it. God, I, you know, I have all this coming because I'm, I'm a, basically a good person. I deserve even more. So God, keep it coming. We, we start wanting the gifts, but not the giver. Folks, that's the worst kind of sin. It's just the worst kind of sin. See, we need to stop and look around us and, and turn to the Lord today. And be, and be thankful. Not, not just taking from God, but learn to thank Him moment by moment. And learn to trust Him completely by giving ourselves to Him. We, we just need to do that. We need to repent of our thanklessness and our unbelief. The second thing that we need to do is rest. We need to repent, but then we need to rest in His goodness when the storms come. We need to rest in His goodness when the storms come. When we live in a world where bad things happen to good people. We've seen that this week. We've seen some good people's lives decimated by the ravages of a storm. There were people, there were followers of Jesus on the, the islands in the Bahamas. And their lives, were, there were churches there that are, that are destroyed because bad things do happen to good people. I want to recommend a book to you. This is one of those seasons where this gets stirred up in the media and people ask questions. But there's a, I started to say a little book. It's, it's, it's maybe a little bit bigger book, but it's got bigger print, okay? Um, it's, it, it's by Randy Alcorn. And it's just simply entitled, If God is Good. If God is Good. It is a great read. If you struggle with this question, God, why, why do bad things happen to good people? Great, great read for, for helping you do that. The, but the truth is, bad stuff happens to the best among us. And if you don't believe me, look at the closing chapters of each of the Gospels at what happened to Jesus. The best who ever walked among us experienced the worst that life has to offer. See, sometimes God's good plan takes us through trials of heartache, of loss, of illness. But here's, here's what I want you to do. This is, this is for you. Psalms 31 says this. God, how great is your goodness. You have stored up for those who fear you. You lavish it on those who come to you for protection. Blessing them before the watching world. God, you hide them in the shelter of your presence. You shelter them in your presence. See, this is God's desire. And he, he is waiting for you and I to come to him. To bring our fears there to take refuge in him. Because the truth is, he, he is up to more good for you than you know. He, he, he's, he, God has hidden help that is available to you when you come to him. But you got to respond. You got to rest in that, that you got to trust in that goodness that he's there. A third response and this needs to become just a natural part of our daily lives. The third response is that we would become people who run 
in confident faith. Now it starts with walking. You're going to have to train your way to run in faith. But when you really come to believe that God is good, it frees you not to just walk by faith, but you start taking giant leaps of faith. You start moving in powerful ways in the presence of God and in, in, in the sight of brothers and sisters. You begin to really run this, this great race of faith that the Hebrews writer wrote about. He says, we have around us many people whose lives tell us what faith means. So let us run the race that is before us. Never give up. Let us look only to Jesus, the one who has begun our faith and makes it perfect. Now, I have to be reminded of that over and over again. This, this hangs in my office, this sign. It hangs over my door, so every time I walk out of my office door, I read this. I know you're not all going to be able to read it, but this passage is going to come up on the screen. It's Exodus 14, 14. It just simply says this. The Lord will fight for you. The Lord's going to fight for you. You just need to only be still. You just got to be still. Now... Have you, have you ever seen that commercial? It's a, it's a marine recruitment commercial where it, it tells you there are some people who run away from the battle and there are other people who run to the battle. The Lord runs to the battle for you. He will fight for you. But the way for that to happen is you've got to be at peace. You've got to be still believing, trusting that God's going to do that. Another passage of scripture that I see just about every day, I try to keep it before me, is, is out of Jeremiah chapter 29. Many of you know this. God says he knows the plans he has for us. He knows those plans. And they're plans for what? For good. Not calamity, but for a future and hope. God knows the good plans he, he has for you. Not for disaster to befall you. But here's the deal. You and I have to believe that. We have to trust in that. We have to run in that faith circle believing that. I, I want to backtrack for just a second into the gospel. It, it, as it plays out here. See, for those of you here who have placed your faith in Jesus, you know that Jesus' death was substitutionary for you. You know that it atoned for you, that it, it cleansed you from sin. It, it wiped the slate, your account clean between you and God, what you owed him. But even beyond that, the scriptures teach us that through Christ, the goodness of God got put into you. There's a theological term about imputed righteousness. The, the righteousness of Christ, when you received him, his goodness got put in to your body, to, to, into your life. Romans chapter 4 tells us about this. It says, but to the one who believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessings of the man whom God credits righteousness apart from works. It's not because of something that you did. It's because of the faith that you placed in Jesus. That what happens is, not only are you saved, but then God pours his goodness into your life so that your, your weak, empty, goodness account gets filled up with the goodness of Jesus to a level that's acceptable to God. And he looks at you and he sees you as good because he has credited you with the goodness of Jesus. 
Paul goes on thinking about that and in verse 11 of chapter 4 he's talking about Abraham's experience. He says he received a seal of righteousness of the faith so that he might be the father of all who believe. That righteousness might be credited to them. It's this idea of you getting the credit for Christ's righteousness. You, you, this may be more familiar to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. There's a newness. There's something. Your, your goodness account has been filled up. The old life has gone. A new life has begun. We understand. We get that. And part of that new creation experience is that we begin to understand and see ourselves as the agents of God's goodness in this broken world. See, when you're running that race of faith, you start seeing yourself as an agent of God's goodness. That God put you here to declare and demonstrate his goodness to every man, woman, and child that you come in contact with. That God is good, but his plan is, is that you would express his goodness. 2 Corinthians 5.18 tells us all this is from God. That's part of the gospel. It's all from God. You didn't do anything. All this goodness that might flow through you comes from God. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This reconciling the goodness of God into people's lives. And so we start seeing ourselves this way. And then we hear in Romans chapter 12 what that looks like. We're not to be overcome by evil. But we're supposed to overcome evil by what? By doing good, that good, let that good flows out of us. And so we finally get to the place where we actually believe what Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. He says this, you, we, we're God's workmanship. That, that's what we are. We're created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. We're created to partner with God to, to do good which God prepared beforehand. That we would walk in him. See, we are his workmanship. In other words, he's at work in you. He's renewing you. He's working on you. He's pouring more goodness into you. You were created by God to do good. See, that's part of the reason that God made you right with him through Jesus. Is so that you could be an instrument of goodness in this world. That's why one of the fruits of the Spirit is goodness. So that over time as we hang out with this intrinsically good, good father, that goodness that has been given to us, credit to our account, would begin to mature and flow out of us. We would get more of his goodness. We would walk with this good God and it would flow out of us. We would experience it and, and, and a river of God's goodness would begin to flow out of us. And this is the way we need to start running the race of, of faith. And it happens as you and I surrender ourselves a little bit more today to that spirit of the living God. And when that happens, our capacity for goodness increases to the point where doing good is no longer some kind of burden. It's not something that you have to think of. It becomes more reflexive. It, it, it's more like breathing. It, it begins to, to happen naturally that you just want to do good to honor your father. But all of that, all of it, is rooted in your personal relationship with Jesus. It all has to do, you, you can think of it, it begins and it ends with Jesus. But if you will do that, if you will give yourself over to that kind of faith life, the Bible tells us something incredible begins to happen. That ultimately you will discover to be true for you the truth of that beautiful Psalm 23. 
You remember Psalms 23 tells us about this good shepherd. And it, it tells us this, that, that surely, certainly, absolutely, God's goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, when, when you get to know that good, good father through Jesus, when you walk with him, where you're running that, face ra- that, 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 that race of faith with him, God's goodness is going to come to you. It's never going to leave you. His goodness is going to follow you. It's going to be like your shadow. His goodness is going to follow you all the days of your life. All the, every day of this life, the goodness of God will follow you. And then do you see what happens at the end? Because your life's going to come to an end. This life will end here. God has something better for you. But did you see what, what happens when this good life here ends? Where, where you, what's going to happen next? You're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Just kind of one closing question. Could, do you imagine that his house is good? I just imagine that a good, good God's house has got to be a really good house. And his goodness is going to follow you all the days of your life. If you're giving your life over to him, if you're trusting him by faith every moment of every day, that goodness is going to follow. And then at the end, forever, you get to go dwell in this good, good house forever. A place of goodness. I want to close with one, one last verse. It's from Psalm 84. And it says this. It says, the Lord God is a sun, which means he will, he will light your path. He will illuminate a way for you even in dark times. And then it says, he's, he's a sun and a shield. It means he protects you. It goes on to say, the Lord gives grace and glory. That's, that's an exaltation for those who follow him. The, the Lord gives you his grace. He gives you his glory. And notice this. He does not withhold the good from those who live with integrity. Do you know how your life gets integrated? The way it is always intended to be integrated? Is when it finally becomes one with the living God. With the triune God. God's dream for you is that you would have always been invited into a relationship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's only because of his goodness. He wants that for you. And and when you do that, the Bible says your life will be fully integrated and you will know. He will not withhold any good. You will know all of the goodness of God. When you receive, when you walk into that relationship and you live out of it trusting him a little more each day, that shadow will follow you everywhere you go. And then you'll be in that good, good house forever. Let's pray. Father, we come at this moment We come thinking back to those three responses. God, I don't know. Maybe there's somebody here who has never responded 
to the offer of salvation in Jesus and Jesus alone. Maybe you're here today and you have just kind of gone through your life and you've, you've received the goodness of God, but you've never, you've never given yourself over to him. You've never put your total trust in him. You've received the goodness, you know about his love, but you never made a commitment to him to that great gift that he gave in his, his only begotten son when he allowed him to be tortured. He allowed him to go through death to take on hell for you, what you deserved. And you've never, you've never stopped to thank him for that. And you've never acted in belief, trusting belief. Well, maybe today's that day. When you say, God, I believe that you're good and I believe there's even more goodness to come and I want that unlocked in my life through Jesus. So I come now, Father. I come believing you're good and I come giving my life to you because I want it filled with your goodness. The Bible says when you get to that place, all you have to do is call in the name of Jesus with that kind of heart, that trusting heart, and you'll be saved. But most of us today who are here have, have taken that first response step. And maybe today you're here and you've been unable to rest in the goodness of God. Maybe today that's the step you need to take is to say, God, I just want to rest in your goodness that is so magnificent and so plentiful. I want to I experience it at its fullness. I choose today to quit striving, to give myself back over to you. I'm just going to rest in you, God, in this storm. And I don't know whether your storm is disease or illness. I don't know whether your storm is a broken, shattered relationship. I don't know what your storm is today. But I know this, the goodness of God will shelter you in any storm. You've just got to walk under the shelter of his arms. You've got to come to him. You've got to bring it to him and, and leave it there, rest in him. Or maybe, maybe today the response that you need to give to God is to say, God, I've been kind of limping. I've been kind of walking. But God, I want to run with confident faith. I want to trust you for big, bold, audacious things, God, in your kingdom. Because I am coming to believe that your heart for me is good. That your plans for me are nothing but good. And I want to live there. I want to be reminded, God, that you will fight for me. That's what you're doing. I want to be reminded of your goodness, God, so that I will be bold for you as my king. And the Bible says if you'll take those steps of faith, they'll turn to leaps of faith. And it'll bring you joy that is boundless. And so maybe right now in, in our time of worship, as we close our time together, you want to respond to God in one of those three ways. Maybe you want to go to one of the crosses and you just want to put something on the cross and say, God, I'm going to rest in you with this. Or maybe you want to say, God, I want a boldness of faith. Or maybe you just need to go to the cross and say, Jesus, I give you my life. I'm trusting you for the very first time. Maybe you just want to write that on a piece of paper and stick it on the cross. 
whatever response you need to make, you can do it today. Maybe, maybe today as we worship, you want to worship passionately about his goodness. Maybe you want to give generously and sacrificially to further the work of the gospel so that everyone on this planet may come to hear of the goodness of God. So I'm going to ask you now to join me as we praise his name, giving thanks to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand with us now as we worship him. It's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.